0: Revelation chapter 6 as we continue our study of this great chapter of future events that will come upon this planet Earth. Revelation chapter 6. And as we go to the Word of God tonight, let's ask God to open our eyes and our hearts to understand the meaning of the text as well as the application of it in our own life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Wow, the music we've been able to sing about the cross and the glory of our Savior and heaven and the wonderful name of Jesus has stirred our hearts and our minds Oh, we love the Lord Jesus. And we want him to come back for the church to catch us up to be with him forever. Father, we also know that this planet is headed for certain judgment from our Savior. And we have the message that will rescue them and deliver them from the wrath to come. So stir our hearts and minds, even in an evangelistic way, that we would have such weeping and compassion for the lost, not wanting any of them to perish, but that they would all come to repentance. Father, have that first and foremost on our mind and our heart as we leave here tonight and as we go out into the world, this next week, we will come upon men and women, boys and girls, in a desperately lost condition. And without trusting in Jesus, they are headed for eternal punishment. Thank you, Father, for the good news of Jesus, his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. We wholeheartedly believe and love the Lord Jesus. Do a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our life tonight, Father. Give encouragement where it's needed. Give strength. Give conviction. And give hope. the hopeless to the praise honor and glory of Jesus we ask amen so we've looked this morning at the day of the Lord the opening of the scroll of Revelation 5 and we've looked at the first four seals as they were broken two quick insights as we begin tonight this period of time in the scriptures is known as the day of the Lord So, I want to just share with you a little insight about this phrase, day of the Lord. It's used often in the Old Testament and a number of times in the New Testament. And you know what a Jewish day is. A Jewish day does not start like us, it does not start in the morning when the sun rises. A Jewish day begins at nighttime. So, the Sabbath does not begin Saturday morning, but it begins Friday night when the sun sets. So, the day of the Lord does not begin with light, it begins with darkness. So there's darkness at the beginning of the tribulation. The, the rapture of the church has taken place. All of us, at the, at the voice of an archangel, at the trumpet, at, the, at a shout, at a command, the dead in Christ will be raised, and then we who are left behind will be caught up in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, to be with the Lord forever. And then the world plunges into darkness because the Holy Spirit, the restraining person of the Holy Spirit, has been lifted off the earth with the church, and man will be utterly lawless with no restraints until the holy spirit comes down and is in his regenerating work as we'll see next sunday morning in revelation 7 but the whole world will be plunged into darkness and for seven years this planet will be into just the utter darkness of god's tribulation being poured out upon it well then we know what happens the morning star appears and it's Jesus Christ coming. And it is second coming. He is the Son coming with righteousness in his wings, bringing healing to our planet. And then it brings forth to daylight, which is a thousand-year literal earthly kingdom where Jesus is seated in Jerusalem, in his temple, on his throne. The whole earth is regenerated. And for a thousand years, we will rule and reign with our Savior out of the kingdom of Israel, right there in Jer- Jerusalem on this, on this planet. And then after the thousand years, of course, we know there's more events yet to come. But that's the day of the Lord. It encompasses all of those events from the darkness that the earth is plunged into with the seven years of tribulation to the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ and the thousand year kingdom of light and righteousness. But Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, the day of the Lord is going to come suddenly like a thief in the night. It's like a woman having labor pains. And we know what that is like regarding labor pains. They start, at first, far apart. The pains come far apart, from what I understand, and (laughs) not super hard at first. Maybe they do. I don't know. But again, it seems like with labor pains, the frequency of the pain and the intensity of the pain comes closer and closer to when the baby is delivered. Jesus and and the Apostle Paul refer to this time period as like a woman giving birth because the six seals are opened, and they come in the first three and a half years. The first seal, as the horse is galloping down the golden streets, We know what happens. It's the false Christ. It's the Antichrist and all of his Antichrist followers deceiving the earth with their message of false peace and false security. And then we know that the second seal is opened. That's another tribulation pain. And we know the second horse and then the third horse and then the fourth horse. By the time the fourth horse has been unleashed to bring its tribulation upon the earth, uh, one-fourth of the population of this planet will have died they have power to take a fourth of the life of the earth which if there's seven billion people do you know how many billions will die in three and a half years as i said this morning it's approximately the population of all of africa and all of south america about that many people will die in the first three and a half years this world has never seen such tribulation or judgment as what it is appointed for do you agree we're talking, these are serious, serious calamities. So then, it's the fifth seal. Then it's the sixth seal. Now we're at the midpoint. And then in Revelation 8, as the seventh seal is, is, is opened up, in the seventh seal are seven trumpets. And the trumpets are blown. And God has taken a third of the fresh water, a third of the sea water, a third of the fish. He's taken a third of the grass, a third of the trees, He's taken a third of all of his creation. He's taken all, away all of man's resources. So man cannot trust on the things which he can see, taste, and touch. He, God wants him to trust him, the provider of all things. And so the trumpets blow. The first trumpet, second trumpet, third trumpet. And now the intensity is bigger. The, tri- the, temp- the tribulation is bigger. And they're coming faster. Boom, boom, boom. Until the seventh trumpet is blown, which is part of the seventh seal the seventh trumpet contains seven bowls of judgment and these bowls are poured out and you know how if you have liquid in a bore in a bowl and it pours out you can't keep it back, and it doesn't go slow. You pour something out of a bowl, boom, it just crashes down. And as the seventh trumpet is blown towards the end of the seven years, the judgments are intense. It's all of the fresh water, all of the sea water, all of the ships, all of the fish, all of the grass, all of the, it's all of the sun, all of the moon. God is undoing his seven days of creation. His six days of creation are being undone. The sky is being receded as a scroll, and people are left on planet or earth that is barren it's going to be barren there's not going to be lights in the sky to 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 guide them it is going to be pitch dark as the seventh bowl is poured and 100 pound hailstones are crushing men and women boys and girls all over but then there's a split in the sky and the sign of the coming of the son of man and people will look up And they will see the brightness of the glory of our risen Savior coming. And he will come and regenerate this planet. So it's like birth pains. The day of the Lord starts with darkness and ends with light. And it's like birth pains as as the return of Jesus comes closer and closer and closer. And we saw this morning in our study, the purposes of this tribulation. It is to humble Israel's heart. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7. It is the day of Jacob's trouble. Joel chapter 2, God says, I want my people regathered. He says in Zephaniah, I want to take away their idolatrous heart. I want to humble them so that they will be my people and I will be their God. It will take Israel, the Jewish nation, seven years of the world's greatest tribulation to humble themselves and to trust in their Messiah, Jesus. What would it take us to humble ourselves and trust the Messiah, Jesus? Maybe longer than seven years maybe even as believers, we've wandered and gone cold and astray. What would it take for us to have a broken heart and to, to return back to the Lord? That was the call of the prophets all the time. Be brokenhearted. Put upon yourself sackcloth and ashes. Take off your fine garments and weep and wail for you have sinned against the Lord. Wow. God takes sin very seriously, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He takes it so seriously, he's going to shake this planet for seven years to show how much sin is an abomination to him and how desperately he wants to get our attention. There are men and women in our community this week that God is getting the attention of. And we've got the message to declare. So let's be attentive and be intentional and deliver the news. Let them hear it from our lips. Regardless of what they say, we don't want them headed for tribulation right? We want them rescued from this day of wrath yet to come. So two things. It's the day of the Lord, darkness, and then light. And it's like a woman in birth, in labor pains, as the coming of Jesus comes about. So we're looking at Revelation chapter 6. The fifth seal is is broken open. Verse 9. When he opens the fifth seal, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who has been slain before the foundation of the world. As he opens the fifth seal, maybe you could hear the crackle of the paper or the wrinkle of the vellum as this literal scroll is undone. But the fifth seal provides this insight. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Listen, everybody, this is a whole different picture than the first four horsemen of the apocalypse. The fifth seal reveals people, men and women, who have been murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. And where are they located? They're located under the altar. Now, listen, up in heaven, I believe that there is a a real temple or tabernacle that everything Moses built and Solomon built was just a picture. It was just a shadow. And you can look at the book of Hebrews about that. But there's an altar up in heaven that'll always remind us about the, the death of Jesus for our sins. And here you find these believers who have died on earth for two things, for the word of God, and for their testimony of faith in jesus listen everybody the world hates the word of god the liberals hate the word of god the unbelievers hate the word of god because it reveals that man is sinful it reveals our true nature and heart remember what happened in the garden of eden right away the devil said to eve has god really said did god really tell you god's a liar you can't trust his word have nothing to do with his word. Listen to me. You eat this fruit, you'll be just like God. But do not listen to God's word. He's a liar. You cannot trust him. The world is telling us this all the time. You can't believe the Bible. You can't trust the Bible. I I tell my students at school and people that I I witness to, you can trust this word. It is without error. It has been preserved for us from God. It is his word for us without error. You can trust every word of the scriptures. We have to believe in that, hold to that. Listen, there's coming a day after the rapture when the Holy Spirit will come and regenerate men and women, starting with 144,000 Jewish people. We'll see that next Sunday morning. And then multitudes of every nation, race, and tongue. And they are going to believe God's word in the fiercest time to believe it. Because the world will be so turned against it. Listen, does the world hate me because I read the Bible? They don't even care about me because I read the Bible. I can read the Bible all day publicly and nobody's going to say a word to me. There's coming a day when reading the Bible will be such an issue that people will be slain for believing the truth of God's Word. Already, we have on Wednesday nights missionary stories of people that are in the last few months slain for holding true to the Word of God in Pakistan, in North Korea. I've read some of these letters, some of these these insights of what is going on in this world in the last month. Men and women have died for holding fast to God's word. Does that make it a little more precious to us? Do you think that we could take a little bit more appreciation appreciation to the fact that God has given us his word? So they were slain for their obedience to the word of God, and then it says, and for the testimony which they held, because they didn't just read the Bible. They lived it. They lived differently than the world, and the world hated them for it. Take your Bibles, go with me to Revelation chapter 12. Hop over to Revelation chapter 12. There's going to be, we'll see in the future of the tribulation, there'll be a, a battle in heaven between Michael, the archangel, and Lucifer, the devil. There'll be a battle. This battle hasn't happened yet, but there'll be a battle up in the heavenlies. Now, listen, you and I are going to be up in the heavenlies, and we're going to watch this, and we're going to be like, I'll be looking at Tom saying, Revelation 12, and Tom's going to be, you got it, that's right, it's Revelation 12. We're going to watch Michael, a created angel of God, holy and good, and Lucifer, the devil, go at it, and who wins? Michael, and what happens to Satan? He is cast permanently out of heaven. You see, Satan has access to heaven where he accuses us before the Father all the time. Maybe right now he's going up to the Father saying, "How could you let Pastor Brian preach tonight? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what kind of sin he has?" Oh, I mean, on and on, the accuser of our brethren. And the Lord Jesus stands up and says. Hey, I paid every single sin of his. Every sin is paid in full. He's my child. He's my child. She's my daughter. He's my son. The Lord Jesus, always interceding for us on behalf when the accuser of the brethren goes before the father. Look at what it says in Revelation 12, verse 12, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, that's their salvation, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death these believers in the future will they won't even care about their own life they will only care about the lord jesus he will have the preeminence he will have the place of privilege in their life they won't even love their lives to try to protect it they will simply take what's coming he goes on and it says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony that's how you overcome satan not by not by rebuking him out of somebody you live righteously He has no power over you. He has no power. And then look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. Why? Because Satan has no longer access to heaven. We're going to be up there going, rejoice. Satan never comes up to walk on these golden streets again. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Woe to everybody down here on planet earth. Why? For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. You see, Satan right now doesn't know when this is all going to take place. He might, he might think he has lots of time. But this, at this point, he knows he's, he's, he has less than three and a half years, and he is enraged, and he's going to go against the believers. So that's why Revelation 6, there are so many slain that are under the altar, Covered by blood, because that's where the sacrifices took place. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 7 says that the blood was applied at the base of the altar. And it soaked the ground by the altar. That's where these believers are. Because they are protected by the, they overcame by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ is what covers them. And they, of course, died for their trust in the word of God and for their testimony. And then quickly, verse 17, and again another aspect of the devil, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, that's Israel, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, that's the Jewish believers, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Satan hates it when we have the testimony of Christ. He hates it when we love God's word. Back to Revelation 6. The fifth seal There are men and women who have been slain for their faith in Jesus and their love of God's word. They are covered and they find refuge at the altar under the blood. Verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? In the Greek despot. How long, absolute master, in my life? You're in charge, not me. Hey, you know what? Isn't it good to know that God's always in control? All of these tribulations are under the very divine, direct control of God. He's, he knows the intensity, and he knows the timing of every, every single one. And these faithful believers, they could say, Lord, you're in charge of the timing and the duration and the intensity of all of this. How long, O oh, absolute master, will you do this? Listen to this. How long, O oh Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see, the tribulation is still going on. And, and they're asking, Lord, when will you intervene and take care of all of the unbelievers on planet earth? that have, They have killed us, and they're, they're killing more as we speak. Verse 11, here's the answer. Then a white robe was given to each of them. They were given a white robe of righteousness, depicting that it's not their righteousness, they are covered with the righteousness of another. So the white robe speaks that not only do they have refuge under the blood, under the altar, but they also have the righteousness of Christ on them. By the way, just a side note, I believe, not everyone believes this, but I believe that we've been given a temporary body on earth, flesh and blood, lungs, blood and air and everything that keeps this body going. This body is fit for earthly life, but when I die, before the glorification, I'm going to be given another temporary body of some kind that I'll be able to live in heaven with until the glorification. So up in heaven, I'm not going to be disembodied i'm not going to be just a free floating spirit there'll be some temporary body that i'll have until the day of resurrection and then at the resurrection i'll get my permanent glorified body which is raised up from the ground anyways that's just a little side light because here they're given a white robe and you can't hang a white robe on a ghost they have to have some kind of physical frame to have a white robe. And I do believe this is literal. I'm not, I, I don't think that all of this is symbolic. I take the Bible very literally, unless it's clearly symbolic. But a white robe was given to each of them. Listen to this. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. I love that word. Rest from their trials. Rest from their work. I think one of the greatest things about heaven is rest. And it's not a lazy rest, where, but it's going to be a rest. A, we're at peace. We're at peace The trials are over. The toil, the sweat from the Garden of Eden that has been a a product of our work will be gone. Work in heaven will be a joy. Worship will be a joy. Everything will be a joy. But there's a rest involved. They should rest a little while longer, so they need to be patient, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed, would be killed in the future as they were, was completed. So what's God saying? I will be just and fair and every unbeliever will be punished accordingly. If they reject the gospel, God says, be patient. I'm going to wait till their sin is stored up, and then they'll receive their full wrath. Meanwhile, more people will be added to your ranks. More men and women will die on earth. And when the number is completed, I will take care of all the unbelievers. And he does. In Revelation 19, when he comes back, so many unbelievers, listen, So many unbelievers perish that he calls for the eagles of the air to come and feed on their flesh and the flesh of the horses. There'll be so many unbelievers. That should break our hearts that that many men and women will shake their fist at God. Let's continue on to the sixth seal. The sixth seal. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, my perspective of this we're reaching the three-and-a-half point, the midway point to the seven years. And the sixth seal encompasses many events that take place during the whole last three-and-a-half years. Because these final earthquakes and the hiding of the great men and the small men and all of that um, obviously takes place as those seven bowls are, are um, opened up and poured out. So you've got all of this kind of culminating in the final storm before Jesus comes back. But here, there's going to be some cosmic disturbances. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. I believe there's five great earthquakes in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, that the earth will experience. But this one will shake the earth dramatically. Hey, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he said the earth will stagger through space like a drunk. So whatever earthquake maybe will tip us off our axis, you know, instead of just going around like this, you know, for the seasons, at a 23 degree angle, it's going to go like this. <laughs> Can you imagine the dramatic seasons and light and dark differences? You know, instead of having you know um, 12, 11 months of winter, no, um, whatever we have up here, instead of having four seasons, maybe the seasons will take place so rapidly because the earth is just wobbling like a drunk through space. But there's a great earthquake. What's that going to do to the planet? What's it going to do to all the, the pipelines, all the oil and natural gas? What's it going to do to the electrical grids? What's it going to do to the roads and the bridges and the highways? What's it going to do to all of... The, what, what kind of tsunamis will it create that will just completely encompass the shores of our nations? Who knows? It's, tra- it's traumatic. But the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth. As a fig tree drop its late late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. You know that God created everything in six days? And here I believe during this time, God is literally undoing creation. He's taken everything, all the resources that He created for man, He's taken away. And the the universe that He stretched out and then put the sun, Moon, and stars, He's simply saying, I'm gonna shake it and empty it. And as He shakes the universe, The stars begin to fall out of the sky and many of those maybe chunks of stars will be be meteors that'll just plummet and hit the earth's surface, destroying maybe thousands of people at one blow. And people will watch as these stars and parts of stars just plummet to the earth like a fig tree that loses its figs in a wind. Devastating. Verse 14, then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The Rocky Mountain Range moved out of its place. All the islands of the world moved out of their place. Absolute shaken earth. Can I throw something in? I know our time's is just about up. But I, had, I wanted to go to Isaiah. I had all, all sorts of places to go with. But listen, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. I love it talks about our future home in heaven, but listen, it promises us who believe a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That should mean a lot to you. Also, in the book of Haggai, with Governor Zerubbabel, Governor Zerubbabel was promised a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do you see now why he says that? Why that phrase is in the Bible? Because the kingdom of the Lord will never be moved or shaken, but every other kingdom and president and nation will be shaken beyond measure. And here it is. The sky recedes as a scroll. Every mountain and island moved out of its place. What's the response of mankind? And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, and every free man. Everybody. I don't care your stature, your your wealth. I don't care who you are. You may be the leader of a great nation, or you may be the lowest man in the country, the Bible says all of these people, they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Every crevice, any place that they could get away and just hide, they, they run to. Oh boy, I wish we had time. Okay, Isaiah 2. God says, listen, people, I'm going to take away all of your idolatrous habits. You make, okay, here's what they were doing. Okay, I'm going to do it anyways. Here's what, the, here's what they were doing in Isaiah 2. They were worshiping the stars. They were into astrology. They were doing horoscopes, worshiping all the stars. They were, make, it says they were pleased with foreigners, meaning they were shaking hands, doing some bad deeds, Iran, Iran deeds. I mean, all sorts of deals that were bad and, and um, that would only bring about destruction they were building idols with their own hands, bowing down and worshiping them. And then in the day, so this is a reference to Isaiah 2, and in the day of the coming of the Lord, when the sixth seal is open, they're going, these men and women who made idols with their hands are going to give them to somebody. Who did they give them to? Anybody remember? They throw them and give them to the bats and moles. Bats are blind, moles are blind. They're going to give their idols... And they're going to throw them to the bats and moles and say, I don't want to touch these idols anymore. They are bad news. You can have them, bats and moles. And then they are going to run for any crack or crevice on planet Earth. They find a little place that the earthquake has made. They're going to jump in there and they're going to hide. Why? The scriptures tell us clearly. (laughs) Verse 16. They will say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They know who's bringing tribulation to the earth. They know it's the God of gods and king of kings. They know it's Jesus, but they will not repent. Their heart is so hard, they would rather have the mountain crush them than to face a holy God. Here's what it tells me. Sin really makes us want to hide. These people that are enslaved in sin, having rejected the gospel, all they want to do is hide. What did Adam do when he fell into sin? He just wanted to hide. I can't be in front of a holy God. I want nothing to do with him. Maybe one reason people so much want nothing to do with Jesus is because they have to bring to light their sin, they can't get away with it anymore. And that's convicting. So sin just causes us to hide, and we need to bring sin into the light to deal with it. And then secondly, look at sin's hardness. Sin causes such hardness of heart that these great men and mighty men and commanders and rich men and poor and slave and free would rather have a mountain fall on them and crush them than humble themselves and trust in Jesus. Second Corinthians 4, every time you give the gospel, it is a spiritual battle. Satan has blinded the eyes of men and women. He does not want them saved. You give the gospel this week, you are entering enemy territory. You are battling the prince and, and, uh, the prince, prince and powers of darkness. That's what you're battling. So sin causes us to hide, and sin has such hardness in the heart. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? The answer to that is chapter 7. Only those who trust the Lord are able to stand in that day. As we close, I always thought, what kind of application do you have for something that's so devastating to this planet? I mean, sure, it moves us to evangelize. That's a great application. Sin has a tendency to make us hide and become hardened. So we need to beware and warn of that. But I think, here's, you know what I think? I think this is a great thought. Why would God give us this about what's going to happen in the future? There must be a reason. And I think it's this. God wants to warn this planet. You see what kind of person God is? What kind of God he is? He could easily say, I've had it with sinners. I'm just going to drop the judgment in one second without any warning. Do we deserve, do we deserve a warning? No, we just deserve instant incineration. We don't deserve anything. But the Lord is long-suffering, and then he says, I'm actually going to write down what I'm going to do to the planet and give everybody fair warning so that they have opportunity to trust. See, you only warn somebody if you really care about them. Like if somebody is going towards a cliff, and they're going to fall right off the steep cliff and die, if you don't warn them, well, you're a terrible person. But if you give them constant warning, don't go near the cliff. Don't go. If you keep going that way, you're going to go over the cliff. Stop. You're going close to the cliff. You're getting closer and closer. You're really close. You're only inches away. You better stop now. I'm warning you, warning you. And then they jump off anyways. But at least you were there warning them and warning them. God is warning our planet and has been warning us since the beginning of the Garden of Eden that these events would transpire through the prophets, through the minor prophets, through the New Testament, through Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24, and now through John's and Revelation. We are being warned the judgment for this planet is certain and guaranteed, and it is going to happen. Now, if we don't warn the public, and again, don't, don't, don't be weird, and then people won't receive the message, but we, you know, I tell my class, I, I tell my students, The earth is young. It's about 6,000 years old. They think I'm absolutely crazy. And then I tell them, right now, you get up, you go to school, you maybe go to work. um, you You have a routine of life. Someday that routine is going to be interrupted with the coming of Jesus Christ. And he has warned us of what is going to happen to this planet. Everybody that I talk to thinks this planet's going to last forever, so therefore we've got to take care of the trees and the environment and the whales and the little bugs and insects. We've got to care for the planet because it's got to last forever. God has already told us it's only temporary. He's going to come down and he's going to destroy it himself. And I tell people, and they think I've lost it, but it's the truth. But we, do, we have to do it as persuasively and lovingly as we can and showing them, here's what God says about his planet. Second, With the labor pains, the six seals, they start slowly and get worse. Doesn't that show God's grace and long-suffering? He could have simply said, I'm not even going to give you seven years. I'm going to give you one second. Boom. You get it all at once. But he doesn't. He says, I'm going to get your attention. One seal, two seal, three seal, four seal. One trumpet, two trumpet. You still don't know? Three trumpet. You haven't trusted me yet? Four trumpet, five. You still haven't trusted me? Get ready. Five trumpet, six trumpet. All right. I'll give you one last chance, and then the seven, there go the seven bowls. I mean, opportunity after opportunity to be saved. Boy, isn't he gracious? So, although this seems like such a harsh book for the planet, and it is, God, I think, just shows himself to be so kind and long suffering as he is patiently waiting and waiting and waiting for more to be saved. And then the last thing that I get out of this as horrific as these judgments are, God is in control he hasn't lasted. He is in absolute control. Therefore, is he in control of my life right now? Can he take care of all the things in my life? Hey, can God take care of our church? No matter what, can he take care of his church? Absolutely he can. Boy, he's got all these things under control. You think he can deal with us? Absolutely. I mean, he sure can. If he can handle the sky receding as a scroll and uh, I mean, all of this stuff, he can certainly handle the events in my life. So I, I'm going to trust him. And we, as a church, will just trust him. We'll, we'll trust him in 2017, day by day, moment by moment. If you get an opportunity, read Isaiah 1 and 2. I may at some point get back to that and kind of go over those chapters, um, great chapters. Revelation 6 is all about Isaiah 2 as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for warning us. Even though we we will miss the wrath, even though we'll, we'll be raptured and safe in heaven during the tribulation, we have a responsibility to warn the world of the wrath yet to come. They may not take it easily, they may not even listen, but we at least need to deliver the message that Jesus is the sweetest name on earth. He is the only Savior. There is no other way to be saved apart from Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So as we bring the good news and warn people that God will judge sin someday, the day of grace will end, the door of the ark will be closed, and judgment will fall once again upon this earth, I pray that maybe this week one or two could be rescued from the world. Maybe this year a dozen could be rescued through the ministry of this church. Maybe two dozen. Who knows, Father? We just have to be diligent to give the message. You will be the saving. So stir us up. Give us a little bit of boldness in these end days as we anticipate the coming of our Savior. Thank you for the truth of God's Word and how all of it connects together. We love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart and soul and strength. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And uh, study Revelation 7 for next Sunday as we look at how God is going to give unparalleled salvation to the world through these Jewish missionaries. So that'll be a, a good topic for next Sunday morning. God bless you all. Have a great week.